This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twang. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. Hello, friends. Welcome to the hottest new podcast to ever grace the airwaves. The It List. A one-stop shop for all things pop culture. Movies. Brookback Mountain was made by a bunch of homophobes. Music. Lady A can sling it. Sports. Emmett couldn't hold Barry's jockstrap. Food. Mmm, mom's French toast. Travel. I think I'd go with the Bellagio. Four guys from different walks of life offering their own nominees in any given topic in an attempt to concoct a perfect top five list. Fathead Joel. Is this combined Dave Collier and Robert Goulet? I did. Mark the cop. You're sitting there like you, Joel, hitting the bong and doing terrible things to your dog with a fork. Mikey No Name. I'm sorry, I thought I was in a room with Mark. Well, I guess I'm not. Beer League Kyle. That sound of that beer. I just went from six to midnight. (laughs) The It List Podcast. Available now on all major platforms. Theitlistpodcast.com. Check it out. What's good, what's good, what's good? This your boy Marcus Harvey from Ghost Brothers. What's happening, man? This your boy Dayla Spratt from Ghost Brothers. And this is Jawan Mass from the Ghost Brothers. We'd like to give a big shout-out to the Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hillbilly Horror Stories, where your stories is from a hillbilly and it's kind of horror because it's Hillbilly Horror Stories. That was terrible, Dalen. Yeah. I, I tried. Tune into the podcast. We up in here. Ghost Brothers. Hey guys, welcome to episode 214 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Ah, another day. Another day. Another day. So Tracy, this is our four-year anniversary. Yes, it is. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. Obviously, we're going to start off the same way we do all of our episodes by thanking all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for helping keep everyone safe out there. Absolutely. We pray for you guys every day. Thank you for keeping us safe. And we just appreciate all that you do for us in our country. Also, I wanted to make sure you know that during these trying times, if you're struggling a little bit with depression, if you're needing somebody to talk to, if you just feel like that there's nobody out there for you, we just want to let you know that there are definitely people out there for you. And I've seen a lot of really uh, an uptick in the group of people needing help and love the support of people that are rushing towards them to help out in their time of need. So there you go. You can sign up at the group if you want to talk to somebody in, in, in that kind of form where hey you can post any time of night and there's you know 20 or 30 responses within a matter of a couple of minutes mm-hmm. or uh, obviously you can contact us if you just feel like you want to talk and you can also call the suicide hotline at that number is what tracy 800-273-8255 or you can text at 741-741 
And I also want to say that this episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. It is the number one habanero-based hot sauce in the United States. It is also in the top 10 of all hot sauces in the United States. We've had a lot of people posting pictures mm-hmm. now where some of the uh, restaurants that they're going to actually have El yeah. Yucateco mm-hmm. as their hot sauce there at the restaurant. And, of course, we've been using it around here. I've uh, used some the green sauce on some pork rinds the other day. Did you really? Yeah. What was that like? It was good. Was it was it? good. Yeah, I used the plain pork rinds. I didn't use one the of the bar- flavored the ones already. The barbecue I ones, never, they kind of... Yeah, I wouldn't have thought to do that, but now I'm going to have to try that. Yeah. So, if you haven't tried it yet, you can pick it up at most of the major grocers, including Target, Walmart. Uh, I know some Walmarts have a couple of flavors, not all of them. There are seven flavors. Mm-hmm. And they specialize on the actual flavor, not so much the heat. Now, they are hot. Some of them are really hot, but it's not not the kind of hot where it's going to screw your membranes up and everything. (laughs) So, no insane in your membranes. That's right. But, uh, yeah, they specialize in the flavor part, and uh, they are hashtag king of flavor. Then they should be. And if you can't find it in your local store, tell them they need to get it, first of all. Absolutely. you can always pick it up online, com. Give them a try, y'all. All right, Tracy, so I thought we would do something a little bit different with this episode, as I said in the beginning. So we thought for our four-year anniversary that we would stay close to home. Kentucky has three creatures with lots of history that many believe to be werewolves. So we are calling this episode the Kentucky Werewolves. There's there's a few more sightings and stuff, but these are the three that get talked about probably the most. Of all these ones that we're going to talk about, the biggest one we're going to save kind of towards the end because it's tied to a, uh, I don't want to say it's legendary because I feel bad about saying that, but I'm about a murder, but there was a campground murder where four people were killed and this, one of these creatures has ties to that story. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that at the very okay. end of the night. All right, so we're going to be joined also by cryptozoologist Ron Coffey. He did a little uh, interview with us. Mm-hmm. He is an expert in this field. Yes, And also, yes. oddly enough, in the Loch Ness Monster, which is, I thought, is amusing because Ron actually lives like an hour from us in Kentucky. You wouldn't think that someone living in Kentucky would be an expert on the Loch Ness Monster. Mm-hmm. But well, that's he, your passion, you know. That's right. what you do. So, yeah, he's going to talk. We don't talk about the Loch Ness Monster tonight, though, but I'm, I told Ron I'd have him back on one night to do nothing but talk about the Loch Ness Monster. But anyway, you're going to love his interview. He's pretty cool. And he's, he's in, if you ever see any, almost any of the documentaries on these creatures, he's part of it. Mm-hmm. Almost yeah. every one of them. So let's get started, Tracy, with Barilla. Ooh, Barilla. Some of the most recent sightings of Barilla have been in Mount Sterling, Kentucky, which, like I said, is about an hour from us. And that's where Ron Coffey lives. Jason Caldwell said that he saw the creature while he was camping as a 16-year-old in 1999. He was, uh, you know, out there with a bunch of friends. It was the summertime, and they were on a fishing trip. There was five of them, or six of them all together, five Mm -hmm. and and Jason. None of them had been drinking or anything like that, doing any kind of drugs. They said it was just good, clean fun out there. Not that I necessarily believe that, (laughs) but but you never know. (laughs) So they called it an... He said it was time to turn in, so they called it a night. Three of them decided to sleep in the truck, and the other three decided they were going to sleep in this little small tent that they had. Jason was in a tent. 
He said something woke him up in the middle of the night. He opens up the tent, looks out to see what was going on and what was making the noise, and that's when he saw it. He said it was about 40 yards away, and it was six or seven feet tall. It was completely gray with wolf-like features. He said it was standing on two legs, which was the immediate thing that caught his attention. He's used to being out in the woods, so he knew what Mm -hmm. animals were out there, and this was something he had never seen before. He said it immediately ran off. Jason was terrified. He told his friends in a tent what he had seen, and they were ready to go as well. (laughs) I'm sure they were. The three friends in the truck, though, they didn't necessarily believe Jason. Mm -hmm. And from my understanding, the other two in the tent didn't see it either. So they're going on Jason's word. Mm -hmm. But I know I talked or listened to an interview with his best friend, and he said that he thinks Jason saw something, but... He doesn't necessarily think it was a werewolf. And uh, Jason said to this day, though, he knows what he saw and he will not go into the woods alone. Ooh. This was 1999. So, I mean, Jason's yeah, I mean, like. If he's a hunter and know. everything, that must have been something to scare him off. Exactly. Jason's father, Jeff, said that he does believe him, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And this is mainly because his father had his own experience in 1996, which was, what, three years earlier. He said he was coming home from a coon hunting competition. It was about 4.30 in the morning. He came around a curve in the road, and he said there was a tall creature in the road with pointed ears, a muzzle nose, brownish gray fur, and he said he swerved to avoid it, and the thing ran off. Now, this was just one county up in uh, Clark County, which is Winchester, Kentucky, which is home of L8, if anybody Mm -hmm. drinks that stuff. But, you know, Winchester and um, uh, Mount Sterling are kind of next to each other, Mm -hmm. so they're, they're adjoining cities. Jason obviously said that, you know, like earlier, that he had seen most of the animals out there in the woods through his through his time out there hunting and fishing and stuff like that. And he said it was very unusual for most wild animals to come up to a human. Yeah. They don't normally approach them. This one did, which he found odd, so he started doing some research, and that's how he found out about Barilla. Mount Sterling is, is fairly close to the Daniel Boone National Forest, so that would actually be a location where a creature like this could hide without being seen very often. A lot of deep woods. Uh, Matter of fact, you know, as far as like the Daniel Boone National Forest, it's basically the same as it was 300 years ago. It's not been touched. Mm -hmm. Well, that's nice. Right. Not too much of that land anymore. We discussed a few recent um, sightings, obviously, with with Jeff and, and Jason's sightings. Now we're going to go all the way back to 1944, that was actually the first Barilla sighting of the modern area. It said there was this boy, he was, I think, 15, 16 years old. He was out there fishing, and he had him a mess of fish. That's a country term, I think. I don't know if everybody, but it's a bunch of fish on the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he said as he pulled it up, the creature came up and attacked him and took his fish. He said he tried to fight him a little bit, uh, but that wasn't the best move. So the thing slashed at him, oh. and apparently... Uh, Gave him a pretty good-sized gash, and he had to go to the hospital. And one of the hospital workers is the one that leaked the story out. Mm -hmm. That was back in 1944. Stories have went all the way back to the 1700s from Native Americans, as well as French Canadians who were exploring the area about Barilla. Now, as far as how Barilla got its name, because you've probably listened to it already a few times and said, that's just a weird-ass name. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it doesn't really fit for a wolfman, as you would think. 
But what happened was, back in 1972, there was a farmer, he saw this creature walk across the road. He said it was large, solid white, and it was kind of hunched over. He went to the media. This is the first time anybody ever actually went to the media about it. And he said it looked like it was half bear and half gorilla. So the media kind of locked onto that and started calling it Bearilla. <laughs> Ron Coffey says that the creature is very aggressive. Unlike most Bigfoot accounts where they just kind of run off, uh, this thing is a little more violent, we'll say, and it's dangerous. There were several sightings in the early 70s with most of the accounts having virtually the same description. So a wolf-like face, long arms, black, gray, or silver fur, six to seven feet tall, and it walked on two feet, not to mention the sharp claws and the teeth. So almost everything was the same. And a lot of these were right around that 1972 time when the gentleman saw it and went to the news where Barilla got its name. So that's when most of the sightings were happening. Ron Coffey had his own experience that has actually caused him to track this creature for the last 40 years. Oh my goodness. And we'll let Ron actually tell that story when Mm -hmm. we do the interview. You think he'd be tired of that. (laughs) So what you're going to learn from the interview with Ron is that he thinks the creature that we discuss, all of them, tonight as well as the Michigan Dogman, the Beast of Bray Road up in Wisconsin, are actually all the same creature just with different names depending on the region that they're in. Oh, okay. The next Kentucky story is a little bit smaller story. But it's only a few hours north of the area where Barilla is typically seen. This is in Shelby County, Kentucky, and it's in a town called Waddy. Oh, hey, we know that. We do know that. The area is right off of I-64, uh, about midway point between Lexington and Louisville, if you're on, the, on that highway. The legend of the Waddy werewolf also goes back several years. A few recent stories have brought back an almost forgotten legend when you think about it because nobody really talked about the Wadi Werewolf, but that changed back in 2012. There was a string of mutilated animals in Wadi, and this happened from November 28th to December 6th, 2012, and all this happened on a little road called Ditto Road. So the end results were pretty much the same for all the animals. Faces were ripped off of goats. Oh my gosh. Their tongues were torn out. Ears were ripped off of goats and calves. They were pretty disgusting if you see some of the pictures. Well, I can imagine. There were pictures posted on the local news website of some of the attack and what appeared to be some canine footprints. The person involved in this incident said that that was not a track of the animal who did the attacking, but that was a paw print made by his daughter's dog. The actual tracks of what made the killings were much bigger. And this would make sense because bulls, goats, sheep, and horses were all killed. And most regular dogs couldn't take down an animal that size. I wouldn't think so. So the track, he said, belonged to the attacker was nearly five and three-eighths inches long and four and a half inches wide. This is pretty huge for a canine track. Now, this track that he saw that was much bigger, oddly enough, was not mentioned on any of the news stories. And he felt it odd that, you know, they used the picture in the, in the, on the news website of the small print and didn't use the picture of the, of the Bigfoot print because he said reporters were, took pictures of the big print, but nobody used it. So the owner of the animals 
was thoroughly confused by this, obviously. Why would they put that picture of his daughter's, his, you know, dog on there and not the actual one? Yeah. It just, he didn't think it was a cover-up. He just thought it was odd. So there's also a report that a woman and her daughter were walking home on that the, the night when some of this was happening. And it was very dark. They were walking up to their house. They heard something coming up behind them that made what they termed a strange noise. They ran into the barn that closed the door, and they waited for her husband, the woman's husband, to get home. The sound made by the creature was not a sound either one of them had ever heard. Now, they live out in a place that's kind of in the country, sort of. Yeah. So they're used to hearing noises. They've never heard this noise before. So the woman's husband gets home. They're able to get into the house. They decided to go online and look up animal sounds of Kentucky animals. It wasn't exactly the same, but they found something similar. A fox fighting. Is this, so if, uh, the sound of a fox fighting was similar to the noise they heard behind them. Apparently, when they ran into the garage, I mean the, uh, the barn, the animal went to a neighbor's house because he heard the same noise. Ooh. Maybe it was fox fighting. Well, reports of a large upright creature had been circulating in the area for about a few weeks before all these mutilations took place. What if they were foxes playing chicken? Well, they wouldn't be very so, tall, though. Foxes are small. But on top of fox shoulders. So you think like in and the cartoons the, when two kids climb on top of each other and then put like a big trench coat on? Well, no, I don't put no, but they <laughs> come on top of each other and then the, uh, the other fox stands on his hind legs and that makes him tall. It is important to note that whatever killed these animals did so for sport and not for food. I just, what is the point of going to all that trouble to kill them and then not eat them? I don't know, but that was, that was the case though. And they said that's unusual for animals to just hunt for sport. That's not typically what's Mm -hmm. done. I don't know why. So some town meetings were held and people were constantly told that it was some kind of a dog it was either an escaped dog, like from uh, somebody's house that was a pet, or it was just a wild, feral dog, or something like that. Most people didn't believe this, though. Well, I don't believe that either. No. Some of the animals that were killed were locked in pens, and they had no tracks or any evidence of anything breaking in. So they would just go out there, open a pen, and the animal was dead inside of it, and looked like no possible way anything could have got in or out. Well, that just seemed, I mean, how is that even possible? I don't know what it was. So they said that the closest thing that would have a paw print the size of something like this would would be a wolf. And there's no wolves out in this area. Hmm. Maybe it was a hyena. I don't think there's any hyenas out there either. Oh. (laughs) Or lowenas. Either way. (laughs) In January 2013, a white pit bull was caught attacking a horse. It was a male, 75 to 80 pounds. It was picked up and taken to animal control. The dog was attacking the horses on this horse farm. And a man yelled at it, and it ran off, ran straight towards a neighbor's dog. Well, the woman inside the house wasn't going to have her dog being attacked by this pit bull, so she comes out, and she starts hitting the dog with a stick and a piece of PVC pipe. The animal eventually got loose it ran off into like a little uh, building shed or something there mm-hmm. and she kind of kept guard over it until animal control got there uh, they picked the animal up and then they took it back most 
think that this dog was the attacker, but several people still, they just don't think it adds up. That still doesn't explain how it was able to get into pins without leaving any tracks. Uh, the, the paw print doesn't quite match up. I could see why it would make sense. First of all, they caught the dog red-handed or red-pawed, either way. It actually was trying to attack a horse. It did try to attack a dog. So it would make sense that this would be the animal. But there's still a lot of people out there that don't think this was the answer. But it kind of stopped there, nothing else. And as far as I'm, I know, there wasn't any other mutilations after the dog was captured, which is what Animal Control was saying. Look, it's just like a person that we catch for a crime. You know, we're, we're going to have to wait and see. So they were just holding the dog to see were there any other crimes, were there, did any other animals get attacked. And then that would prove that either A, that wasn't the attacker or there was a group of dogs that were doing it. Mm-hmm. So and that could be the situation. I know in Louisville here in the last year or so, year and a half, they had a bunch of animals attacked out by the Louisville zoo and they were thinking that it was a pack of wild dogs. And I know it was attacked some llamas and donkeys and stuff like that. So there was another sighting though, in 2016, there was a woman who was walking her dog. It was around 9 PM. She says she lives in a nice older neighborhood, but the neighborhood is smack in the middle of nothing. So, I mean, you've got the neighborhood and everything around it is wildlife and stuff. So it wouldn't be odd for something to to come up on it. She was almost home from her walk. She says she stopped mainly because she saw two very large black hairy things coming down the driveway of the house that's directly across the street from hers. (laughs) She said she could see the hair standing up on its backs, whatever it was. She said it had a jerky movement to it, and she remembers thinking that they looked like giant black tumbleweeds. <laughs> <laughs> she said they were coming down the driveway, so she just kind of freaked out a little bit. She said they tried to hide behind this very large bush that was at the end of the driveway, but they were it was they were both too big together to hide yeah, completely mm-hmm. behind the bush. She said the creatures made no sound whatsoever. Her and her dogs stood completely still. The creatures must have known that they had somehow been seen or spotted because she said they quickly moved right back up the driveway and they stopped at the front corner of the house and stood up on two legs. She said then they actually were in a little bit of light and she could see that they were actually brown, not black. They were very tall. She said they stretched their arms above their heads and they shook like a dog would if it was trying to shake water off of it, like when they're wet, how mm-hmm. dogs shake. So she never got a good look at their head or their face. They took off around the house and they were gone. She said uh, she doesn't know exactly what it was, but she knows it wasn't a dog and she knows it wasn't a bear and she knows it wasn't a human. I don't know how she kept her dog still. I don't, well, she said at first the dog didn't notice it. Mm-hmm. And she said, but then when the dog did notice it, it just stopped. She said when she's walking her dog, it normally keeps its head down. Mm-hmm. So it didn't. So, but she said when it did see it, it just stopped and stared just like she was. Oh, dang. So I told you that we're going to save the most popular werewolf story for the, for the end here. And uh, first, though, we're going to take a quick break from our sponsor, and then we'll be back to tell you this one. All right, Tracy, are you ready to hear... About the beast of the land between the lakes. Oh, gosh, yeah. All right. In the southern part of Kentucky, down by the Tennessee border, there's two very large lakes. And they kind of run side by side. When you think lakes, you normally think round. Yeah. This one's more, think 
think long and skinny. I know it's beautiful there, actually. Yeah. So that's that's the way these are. But there's two of them, and then there's a big stretch of of land in between of them that they cleverly named Land Between the Lakes. It's a recreational park, and it gets tons of tourism there. So this area has had several sightings of werewolf-type creatures going all the way back to the 1600s. And as far as the beast of the land between the lakes, there's a few different legends. One of them says that it's the spirit of a shapeshifter who was a Shawnee shaman back in the day. Apparently he was practicing some black magic, and a lot of the villagers didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like what he'd become, and they actually killed him while he was in his wolf form. And then from that point on, he's now, I guess according to the legend... He's forced to stalk the woods for revenge. So that's what he does. Mm, There's they another should... story, though. Oh. It says that this man came from Europe in the 1800s, and he had a disease that made him kind of go crazy after nightfall. The disease was hereditary, and he's passed this on year after year and generation after generation. His family's been here since the 1800s, basically hiding in the woods and... Since this is hereditary, they all have the same disease. Mm. So they go crazy at nightfall, thus the werewolf-type mentality. Right, right. Now, French explorers told of hunters disappearing in the woods and strange, unnatural howls that echoed through the forest at nighttime. Hunters would often find mutilated bison. There used to be a lot of bison in the area, um, obviously back during that time. And uh, it's not so much now today. They are trying to reintroduce them. Out in the wild, though. Fun fact. Oh, cool. So they would find these mutilated bison. They would be half-eaten, but they would have their throats ripped out by the creature that apparently had massive claws. Mm. I can just imagine that in my mind. It sounds horrible. So I told you they're trying to reintroduce bison out there, but even today, when they bring some of them back to the area, some calves will go missing. And then the rest of the herd are, like, spooked for several days afterwards. Oh, I bet. And, and it said that they stay in close formation, which is normally what they would do if they are protecting themselves from some type of predator. So there's so many encounters when it comes to the beast of uh, Land Between the Lakes that we could probably do an entire episode on it, and we may actually do that in the future. But I'm going to focus on one main story that happened here in 1982. This is the slaughter of four campers. Now, I will start off by telling you that there is no written proof of this incident. And it kind of leans a little bit towards conspiracy theory. And you'll hear why in, in a little bit. But several in the area swear that this is a true story. And those same people say that they were either part of the first responders or they knew somebody who was a first responder. And that's how they know the story to be true. Oh, it was in February of 1982. A family was traveling through the area and decided that they wanted to stop off at Land Between the Lakes and do some camping. They had a brand new camper, and they were excited to use it, and mm -hmm. they knew this was a great place. Now, none of the stories that I've seen on this tell where the campers came from. So I don't know what area they could have been. Oh, okay. They could have been, you know, close. They could have been from far. I don't know. You don't know, yeah. No. What I do know is it was a father, a mother, a young son, and a young daughter. Ages vary when you read this thing. Some people have the son being a year. Some people have him being up to 12 years mm -hmm. old. So That's quite a difference. Well, it might have been hard to tell 
based on the remains of the bodies. Oh, God. So, obviously, we're going to get into that. So, they get to the the area, and it's no daylight savings time at this time. So, it would have been getting dark around 6 or 6.30. It's my understanding they got there around 3.30, 4 o'clock. Okay. So, they didn't have a lot of time before it got dark. Right. They check in with the the people at the front of the the park. They get their slip for camping, you know, their their actual section they're going to be camping at. So they go down there and they get set up. Now, their camper was a nice camper, Mm -hmm. but it didn't have automatic levelers, so they were going to have to manually do that. So they get to their little camping slip, and they jump out there to try to help out before dark. It's the dad and and the son are helping. This leads me to believe that he had to be at least a little bit older. They pull into the last parking slip at the northern part of the park. Like I said, around 3, 3.30. This area is really close to the ravine, which would make sense that something could actually come up from that area. The RV park had nice lighting. It had water. It had electricity. And it had a bathhouse. So this was a top-of-the-line park. The dad and the son, they're out there leveling. They're in the front of the RV. When the beasts came up, on the left side of the RV and attacked the father. It completely destroyed the father, decapitating him and ripping one arm off. The boy took off. He tried to get into the camper door, but that's about as far as he made it. The little boy, torn to shreds, as his mother looked out the outside window of the door and seized the whole thing. Oh my gosh. The beast knowing someone was inside the camper, then ripped off the door of the RV, mutilated the mother's body so bad that several of the officers that came in and saw the the crime scene had to leave to go outside to throw up. They said it was the worst they had ever seen of a crime scene in all of their years of being on the force. The daughter during all this time had kind of hidden in the back of the rv i guess there's a little separate room back there mm-hmm. it's the creature made its way through there through the, the camper pulled her out of the rv and then the story goes that the park ranger heard some weird weird animal sounds and a commotion at the same time there was a couple that was coming through the area and they saw the dad's body in the, laying in the road with their lights from their car Obviously, there was no 911 back in at this time, and there was uh, no cell phones, and they were scared to death. So they backed into a spot and turned around and went back to go get help. Within a few hours, police showed up. They said it looked like something out of a horror movie. They see Dad, he's completely mangled, but in his hand, of the arm that was left, he was grasping thick silver fur. And supposedly this fur was sent off and it came back as unknown as what type of animal, animal it was. It was obvious that his body was torn apart by something that had very large claws. So they found the mom and the brother, but they only found the clothes from the young girl. The officers feel like now they have a witness out there somewhere because they've got the girl's clothes but no girl, so they spread out so they can go try to find her. At some point in time, they're checking two of the officers, two of the ones that were first on the scene. They're checking the woods that are closest to the campground, I mean, to the uh, the camper itself, because that, that would make sense that she would be close. 
one of the officers noticed some blood on the other officer. So he says, hey, are you okay? Did you get injured? And the guy's like, no, I'm fine. And he looks and he sees it. With the time he's looking, he starts feeling a steady stream of drips on his hat. Oh, shoot. They shine their flashlights up in a tree. There's like a little fork up in the tree. And there is the girl's partially eaten body up in the tree. I'm going to vomit. This is horrible. So the most commonly told version of this story is that government agents came in and they took over the crime scene from the local law enforcement and they were told not to mention the case to anyone. So the story never made it to the newspaper or to the news, so many say the event never happened. But there was one officer who supposedly stopped at a store, a convenience store, after he left, and he told the cashier about it. He was, like, stunned and in shock, and he just, like, you, you just won't believe what happened up there. So he tells uh, the guy at the store about it, and that's how the story got out on that part. But then some people that were apparently part of the uh, personnel that came up there, other law enforcement, people at the hospitals, you know, got mm-hmm. wind that there there was something and there wasn't going to be any survivors. And then people who came up with the ambulance and stuff, they all... There's all people from all sides that said that that story really happened and that the main reason that they kept it hush-hush was because, and this is this is odd because I made this comparison, was because that whole area makes us living off of tourism. Oh, yeah. yeah what Definitely. would happen if word got out that there was something out in the woods that killed a family? Well, I mean, I'm sure all those other campers. Well, there weren't a bunch of other campers. I should have probably pointed that out. These The family st- stayed here because there wasn't going to be a whole lot of campers. They chose in February. So in February, it's cold. There's not a lot of campers when it's cold. I think that's one of the times they chose there. They wanted the place pretty much to themselves. I wonder why they went all the way to the end of the campground then. I don't know. I mean, I guess just because, you know. Now, here's the other funny thing about it. And, we, and when we talk to Ron here in a little bit, you will hear him say same thing, that the conspiracy theory, and I said that leading toward conspiracy, was that, this town couldn't have, you know, the chance of its tourism killed by something like this. So, you know, I don't know where the government comes in at it or not, but I could I could see, you know, locals telling the police not to say anything about it or yeah. all that. But I know that's still a little bit of a stretch, but I mentioned to Ron that it reminds me a lot of the movie Jaws when the sheriff is, uh, or the mayor is like, well, we're not going to tell anybody about this shark because it would kill our tourism. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because we're actually getting ready to go see Jaws on the big screen. So, you know, it kind of, kind of goes hand in hand. But anyways, the other thing about this this story that there is no campground there now. There's people, there's a couple of sites where people think this happened. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of uh, bigger known authors out there that have books on this, on specifically on whether this happened or not. And they say they know where the campground is. And I've seen a video where a guy goes out and there's no campground now, but they talk about that it's been altered. A stream has been altered. The road is kind of, there's a road there, but it's kind of not there. There's oh poles gosh. that what used to be electric poles that are now cut off to the ground. Oh my so goodness. it was obvious at one point there was a, a campground in, in the one spot where they say that it happened, but there's not a campground there now. So it's just very oh odd. So. That is just so terrifying. I mean, it's bad enough you're camping in a tent, but then you're in your own RV or whatever, and you still get eaten. Or the fact that you spend all that money on an RV and only got to use it once. (laughs) Oh, that's true. 
That's disappointing. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> all right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go ahead and play the interview with Ron Coffey. And Ron's actually got a couple of books on Amazon about Kentucky cryptids, and then he's got a third getting ready to come out. So you guys, uh, I'll put some links up to the stories, and uh, you can kind of go check out his books if you want. And I think he's very interesting. And there's, a, like I said, there's a couple of good – he's a, a very big part of a documentary on Barilla that I think you might like. And then there's, like I said, there's all kinds – and there's documentaries on all of these creatures, but especially – tons of different documentaries on the beast of the land between the lakes but let's listen to ron real quick and then we're going to play uh leslie our our own leslie from fear of the week leslie fear she has her own podcast out and a few weeks ago she did an interview with tracy and myself and asked some interesting questions and i thought it would be cool to play that at the end of this episode so let's listen to ron first Hey guys, I got a special guest on the line tonight. I've got uh, Mr. Ron Coffey. He's a cryptozoologist. He's right up the road from us uh, in Mount Sterling, Kentucky, which is about an hour from where me and Tracy are up in Lexington. And he is the expert when it comes to Barilla. He's uh, people contacting from all around the world. He's been searching for this thing for 40 years. And uh, I couldn't do this episode without bringing him on, at least to, to do the episode justice. Ron, thanks for coming on, buddy. Yeah, anytime. So, Ron, tell me a little bit about. So, we're we're gonna talk about Barilla first. You've got some other things that you can give us some insight okay. on. Okay. But Barilla, okay. But Barilla, this all started for you back when you were a kid and had your own experience. Tell me a little bit about what happened back then. Okay. Um, it was back. Oh, I don't know. Back in the late sixties, early seventies, I was a young teenager. Uh, me and some of my cousins, we were actually out working and having business. There's a, there was a house in this area that supposedly is haunted. There had been an axe murder in or something. So we were we were sneaking around that night. It was probably around 11, 12. Now, this, this house sat on the edge of a, a wooded area and then the yard and everything was pretty much growing up brush and weeds and so forth. Anyway, while we were um, sneaking around the house, something came walking around the house on all fours. Now, there's a lot of cattle ranches in that area, so our first thought was it's it's a it's a heifer or a steer has gotten out and it's wandering around. I couldn't really get a good look at it at the time, so one of my cousins he picked up something and threw at it. When it hit it, it stood up on four legs. And it let out kind of a, it's hard to describe the sound it made. It was kind of between a roar and a, and a howl. And it basically looked like, once it stood up, it looked like, like a German Shepherd dog. It had a huge, long, elongated, I think I remember most of it was as long ears. But anyway, when it stood up and let out that sound, it actually began to chase us. Now, normal naturally we ran away it chased us just a short distance maybe 20 30 feet and then it it veered off into the uh, brush best way to describe it was oh i don't know maybe about six feet tall uh fairly bulky because like i said we thought it was a steer at first and because it had the what i remember most was it's really long canine ears so anyway, uh, we made a hasty retreat, and we, now that's before I'd even heard of the dog man or 
anything like this. And we went back, we told people we'd seen a werewolf. Well, of course, you know, people said we was crazy and we're lying and stuff and pot. You know how the story goes. So anyway, at that time, I did not know what it was, but I always kind of had in the back of my mind trying to figure what it, what it could have been. And then as time went on, I, you know, I did more research and began to learn more about things. And that's been back, back in the early, late 60s or so. And, and we and my cousins, we still get together. We always talk about that same thing all these years later. So it made quite an impression on all of us. And the best known knowledge, it has not been seen in that particular area since, at least it's not been reported. And like I said, I did not know what it was. We called it a werewolf. And now I know that it was dog man or burrow, whatever you want to call it. So that's, that was my experience with it. So you've got 40 years of researching this, tracking this thing. You described it as, as a werewolf, and it's been called, Barilla's been called Kentucky's werewolf. So a lot of people were on that, that same path. Now, do you think that creatures like the dogmen up in Michigan, like the Beast of Bray Road in Wisconsin, Barilla, uh, are, are they all the same creature, do you think, or variations of the same creature? I think they're all the same creature. These are just uh, original names. The uh, name that Barilla that it's known for here in the central Kentucky area is actually kind of a misnomer because it, it, the name indicates it's a bear, but it, it's actually canine. And the reason it got that name, uh, back in 1972 in Nichols County, it was this farmer, I think he was 75, 76 years old. He was a tobacco farmer. He was out early one morning going to check on his tobacco crop to see if he could go ahead and, you know, get it stripped and sowed. As he was going down the road to the right, he saw something white inside the road. Now, at that particular time, all the farmers around here were raising a breed of cow called Charlay, which are solid white. And his first thought was, was okay, somebody's Charlotte is out, because they were notorious for breaking through fences and so forth. But as he got closer to it, he just stood up on two legs and just walked right across the road in front of him. And he described it as six, seven feet tall, covered with hair, white, with a rather kind of a hunched over uh, posture. He said it had the big, elongated snout and so forth, and it crossed the road in front of him and went on up into the, you know, opposite field. Now, he was one of the first two, I mean, these things have been a legend around here for a while, but anyway, he went, actually reported it to the law enforcement, and they came out, they, they could find nothing. But somehow, the uh, the media got hold of the story, and they uh, approached him, and, you know, they were asking him questions, and they said, what did it look like? He said, well, to me, it looked like a cross between a bear and a gorilla. <laughs> so the media said, oh, it's a gorilla. And that name was stuck ever since. And uh, he was kind of funny. That he'd say, well, why, why didn't you go uh, try to get a better look at it? And he said, oh, well, they're chasing that hairy barn. <laughs> i got something else to do. So but that's how I got the name gorilla. So let me ask you this. So that, like I said, that's a, that, the name itself is kind of misleading, obviously, because like you said, it's most people as, assume that's more of a canine type cryptid. Uh, 
I heard you talking on another interview where you said that there have been some deaths uh, in the area that have been attributed possibly to Barilla. Can you talk a little bit about that? Okay, actually, um, these deaths actually occurred over at the uh, land between the land between the lakes. We've had some attacks here in the central area, but the deaths were over toward the uh, land between the lakes. And that's back in 1981. And what happened there was uh, this story leaked out with some local lawmen, but they received a call from a payphone, and some campers had said they were out early in the morning, you know, hiking. And they'd come upon what they thought must be a murder scene. They'd actually left in the area completely and called, you know, from the payphone. But when the law enforcement got there, they found a camper. Camper was busted up pretty bad and they found scattered remains of people the best they could figure it was a man woman probably a young boy um as they began to go through the camper itself they found evidence that perhaps there was a, a girl there too so they all found out you know in the woods and oh 50 feet or so from the camper when the, the camper sat down under a tree when he did blood dripped out a tree down on him and he looked up and there was a young girl was left of a young girl up in a tree basically just you know that she'd been eating on and the along the the uh the trunk of the bark on a tree had uh some kind of long grayish white hair anyway they uh brought the girl down and called in the state police and the coroners and things like that and at first off they thought it might have been like a, a chainsaw massacre type thing <laughs> but as they examined the wounds they discovered that they weren't cut they were like bit and ripped and yes. they also found in the hand of the adult male some of that same gray grayish white hair now this was uh, never really reported in the media because uh from some of the first responders had said that which they were ordered away from the site when the state police took over. They were ordered away from the site and then they were actually basically threatened not to say a word about that. Keep quiet. And they, it even went as far as people, they were threatened by higher up officials that they would lose their jobs, lose their pensions. And that particular area, the whole economy depends on the land between the lakes. So they were actually kind of afraid to talk and surmised that this happened in early early part of the season about early may and people said well why would you want to shut up something like that well like i said it's the, the whole economy is based on that and if a story leaked out that there's some kind of murder like this and especially the brutality of that it would definitely um affect the, the tourist trade in that area so it was never like officially listed in the media. It's, it has leaked back through some of the law enforcement people who actually worked the case. And everybody, even the people that didn't really know what happened, will all say that something big did happen in 1981 simply because of the number of official um, vehicles was there and ambulances and so forth. Something, even though they didn't know about the attack, they do know something definitely happened. So uh that's about all i really know about it but i know the the, the locals say it you know it is true 
It's funny when when you hear about that and you talk about the tourism and them keeping their mouth shut. It's it's so much like on the uh, the scene in Jaws where the, you know the mayor's talking about right. you know you can't go out and say shark because it'll screw up the whole economy. But you realize that's yeah, how life right. really works in some in some places. Yeah, yeah, that economy could have very well crashed if word you know got out about that. So it was uh, you know dollars over over lives basically, but. Um, I don't know of any other attacks that has occurred in that area. I know that people have spotted the creature from time to time, and a lot of hunters speak about hearing something howling. But it's it's been a legend in that area for many many years. Now that one, this my knowledge, just the person death associated with it. Now that one, uh, obviously, it's got a, a another name also. They call it the Beast of the Land Between the Lakes, and yes. the rumors of that one are going back to Native Americans that it was a shapeshifter that uh, either died or something in between shifting and he's got the ability to knows the area really well and the ability to be able to to just kind of go back and forth at will. How much do you buy into something like that as a cryptozoologist or, or do you just think an animal is an animal? Like I've heard you say before, uh, when it comes to cryptozoology, it's an animal that exists, it just hasn't been verified yet, basically. Correct. And do you mm-hmm. think that's the same with this, or do you think there's a little more paranormal going on with that particular creature? I really think that probably there's probably a breeding population for these things. And the Chickasaw legend basically was kind of created uh, as a way of trying to explain a beast that really didn't make any sense to be there. Supposedly, a shaman had the ability to shape shift, and um, some of the people in that area, they were worried about him, so they banished him to the woods. And then sometime later, some uh, drunken settlers, you know, Native Americans tracked him down and uh, shot him, and supposedly as he was dying, he put a curse on the people who killed him and all the descendants. Now, I don't, to me, that's just a legend, but I think it's something that was used to explain an actual flesh and blood creature that's, that's like I said, it's got to be a breeding population in that area. All right, I want to take you back to 2012. Um, Waddy is in Shelby County, Kentucky. It's not too far, still central Kentucky, too far from you know, Mount Sterling, where some of the uh, uh, Barilla sightings are, and, and not too far from Lexington. So, you know, within a, within an hour and a half, two hours drive, there was some situations with some uh, livestock that were mutilated and killed that basically looked like it was for fun because none right. of them were eaten uh, back in Wadi. The term used back then was the Wadi werewolf because of, of right. what was going on. Tell me a little bit about what you think happened back then. Uh, well, uh, that area has had a, a legend for quite some time of the Wadi Weirwood. I think dates back into the 1800s. So again, you know, it's pretty much been taken just as a fable or something. Uh, what had happened went on just, uh, I think, about a five-week period through November and December of uh, just animals mutilated, not not eaten or anything like that, just basically ripped apart. And these, some of these animals were large, like horses, bear, kind of horses, uh, bull, uh, of course, countless sheep and so forth like that. So whatever attacked them, 
had to have been pretty powerful and it also appears to have just been for pleasure that's one thing about these creatures they do seem to have a they seem to kill for pleasure sometimes and um this went on quite some time i know they call it an experts and they they said oh well it's a it's a coyote it's a feral dog but all the locals that maybe caught a glimpse of it or, or heard it how they all disagree with that. They know what a dog sounds like. They know what a coyote sounds like. This was something different. And besides that, a coyote or dog cannot bring down a horse or a bull or something like these did. And some of these um, was actually killed while they were high enclosed in like a barn or something. It actually been it had actually gotten into the barn and killed them right there in the stalls. But anyway, like I said, it went on about five six weeks and then it just basically uh died down again i don't know it's a creature you know they could have moved on or who knows or died somewhere but it it stopped right in december of 2012. i know there's been people spent in their later years and try to find some evidence of it to the best of my knowledge they've not been successful so i don't know <laughs> Ron, I appreciate you coming on, buddy. Do you, um, you got anything you'd like to talk about that you got in the works right now? I've got a book uh, getting ready to come out here in well, probably a couple months. It's called uh, Wartime Encounters with Mysterious Beasts, where I go back, all the way back to the Roman Empire, and talk about some uh, encounters with creatures that, well, basically be considered monsters and it goes all the way up into the modern uh, wars in the Middle East speaks of different creatures like I said it should be out in a couple months it'll be available on, on uh, Amazon when it's out awesome when that book comes out let me know we'll have you on we'll talk about a couple of the stories and we'll see if we can't sell a few books okay that'd be fine yeah alright thank you so much Ron I appreciate it anytime yeah Ron's a cool guy ain't he Oh yeah, definitely. He has, he's. I love it because he's so country. <laughs> he's definitely country. He's definitely country. Yeah, but yeah, he's he knows his stuff, man. When it comes, no, to he it. does. Could you imagine over the last forty years of spending so much time out in the woods and stuff looking for a cryptid like that? No, I cannot. But good for him. Yeah, I, I love it. I can't wait to get him on to talk about uh, some of the other stuff. I mean, he knows so much about these dogmen. And I thought it was interesting that he feels like that. The dogmen and and um, you know the beast between the land between the lakes mm-hmm. and Barilla are all the same creature. Yeah, yeah. So very cool. Well, Tracy, if you will get together our um, iTunes reviews for the week, I'll give people a quick update. We are um, still working on the book. I'm hoping to have this thing published before Halloween. So that's what we're going on. Uh, it's been quite the experience so far. It's a tough undertaking anybody out there who is an author you have my utmost respect because this is uh, a lot harder than i even hoped it was going to be i knew it would be hard so i didn't think i could just step up and write a book but it's definitely been a lot harder than i thought it would be yeah you're doing good so far though thanks you're welcome so what do we got all right we have timmy Fishboy, tammy joe 39 mojo lobster Aaron Kelly, the redhead, Allie Quartz, and Molly's mom. Thank you guys so, so much for your awesome reviews. They were just wonderful. You guys rock. 
Also, before we play Leslie's interview, I want to bring up something about the uh, Hillbilly Horror Stories store. So if you go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com, we have our store and you can buy any of our merchandise that we have there. We are understanding that there is some difficulty if you sign in from a mobile device, whether it be a tablet or a phone, and you're trying to add stuff to the cart, that sometimes there's an error coming up. If you're able to go to a laptop or computer or a Mac, uh, you can actually order it that way and it, there won't be any issues. I don't know what the problem is. I've discussed it with them several times, but they obviously can't get it figured out. Um, so, but if you try to buy a piece of merchandise and it's not letting you on your phone or tablet, if you can do it from a computer, you'll have no issues with it. Yeah. All right. Let's listen to Leslie. Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where we get into people's heads and find out how their choices in life has affected them. My name is Leslie Fear. I'm your host. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Because I Want to Know. I'm your host, Leslie Fear, and I am here with Hillbilly Horror Stories podcasters, Jerry and Tracy Polly. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us on. I'm so happy to have you guys on. You guys, of course, are the reason that I'm anywhere I am today. You guys have been such a wonderful help, wonderful mentors, and I sincerely we'll get this part out of the way i can't thank you enough for everything you've done for me did you just call us a minotaur i'm not really into great mythology (laughs) i might have i might have said it thank you thank you for (laughs) thank you for that and really that means a lot to us you know coming from you so um you know it's our honor and we're just tickled to death to be on your show well, I'm tickled to death to have you guys. And uh, Jerry, don't even start with me, bucko. <laughs> you know how he is. He, you just have to let it fly over your head and go on. <laughs> That's right. And the people that don't know, uh, that maybe don't know your, which I can't imagine people don't know your podcast, but if you happen not to know their podcast, we're very good friends and we, we give it back and forth to each other. So just understand that uh, this is not something that uh, I, <laughs> I'm giving him a hard time for no reason. So I don't <laughs> usually do that with my interviewees. Well, not usually. Well, he always deserves it, though. So Well, he does. And you can just tap him on the head when he gets out of hand for you me. You know I got you, girl. I know. That's right. Fear the weeks. <laughs> so I really, first of all, the name of the podcast is called Hillbilly Horror Stories. And before we get into the genre of what you guys do, kind of does describe itself, but I would like for you to tell me who picked the name and why are you guys doing this specific type of podcast? Well, it's funny you say that the name kind of says it all because you would be surprised how many people try to join our group and think that it's something completely different. They really? think they think it's like uh, these two hillbillies got into a fight <laughs> over over their you know their sister or something like that. They think it's that kind of hillbilly horror stories, and they don't even realize it's like a paranormal thing. So, oh, that is so. So it's just a bunch of people that don't have teeth getting in fights. Yes, and it's funny. Like I said, we were just on a trip to Pigeon Forge. Speaking of uh, people who don't have teeth getting in fights, and Terry as what. <laughs> And as we were going down, I told Tracy that I've started to put on a lot of our shirts, Paranormal Podcast at the bottom, because when people are out and about, when they see the Hillbilly Horror Stories, if they don't know it's a Paranormal Podcast, then they don't even try to tune in. And so it's 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 kind of funny you brought that up when we just mentioned it like within the last week. That's, well, that's hilarious because, well, it's under the genre 
Is it under social and culture, or is it under another genre in the podcast world? It's bounced back and forth. Uh, I know it's under history, and it's also mm. under uh, uh, science category. I don't because, understand that. Well, it's because, for whatever reason, on iTunes, and I thought mm-hmm. here in the last year they changed, they came up with a bunch of new categories, like true crime. Up until a year ago, they didn't even have a true crime category. So everything went into society and culture, or whatever you felt like putting it, and mm. Paranormal is one of those categories that doesn't exist. And so you just had to put it wherever you thought that it would fit the most. And as far as when they came up with the new categories, we thought they were going to use one for paranormal, and they didn't. So we're still mm-hmm. back in the same thing. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense then. So you got you got to put it wherever you can. I wish they could do it like when you put a book up on Amazon. You can hashtag or whatever, any kind of genre you want, and then it sends people to that particular one which would with whatever they type in so i wish they would do that a little bit more for the podcast because they there's so many different ones out there anymore i mean realistically 70 percent of our show is history of the location Mm -hmm. that's haunted or whatever so the history category kind of fits us for the most part so i guess we'll just deal with that but as far as the name i came up with the name (laughs) and i wish i had this big elaborate story on how this came to me but the reality of it was when we first started the podcast, it was going to be about uh, paranormal encounters in the South. So I just thought, you know, a cool a cool thing would be to incorporate hillbilly, sure. and uh, being a big fan of alliteration that I am, I thought, okay, what can we do? What would fit in that? And horror, horror just kind of came along, and so hillbilly horror, and then just came up with stories to throw in there. But uh, yeah, there's really not a big elaborate story that goes along with it it was mm-hmm. just i thought because we were dealing with the south i thought the hillbilly would be kind of a funny thing to do and it did the show did kind of start off as as much comedy as it was paranormal so that kind of i thought would sound funny mm-hmm. if i mm-hmm. had to do it all over again and we were just going to take this approach i don't know that i would have even come up with that name but i'm glad i did no you oh it, it certainly fits and and you definitely have a comedic background every if, if no one knows they will now mm. <laughs> I tell you what, but I love the fact that you guys talk about haunted places. You go to haunted places. You tell stories about haunted places. You also talk about cryptids, aliens, any kind of, you know, supernatural, paranormal kind of thing that might interest someone. And I want to know what got you guys into that? Because, Jerry, you come from a background of more, you know, comic side. And I don't even know, really, if Tracy was ever terribly interested in haunted places but maybe she was i don't even think i ever asked you those questions i think most of mine came from growing up in a haunted house when i was 12 years old we moved into a house in louisville Mm. kentucky and it was uh haunted we didn't realize that for almost the first year the first year was pretty much uneventful and uh just all kinds of strange things started happening and Mm. you know you start researching stuff and i can remember my senior year thesis for high school I actually did a story on uh, Satanism, and uh, we went and checked on me and a, a girl I was dating at the time. We went and got a bunch of books out of the public library, which, by the way, 35 years later, the library claims they never got back my book on oh. uh, Satanism, and I still can't get a library card to this day because of that book my senior year of high school. <laughs> you think they would let you pay for the dang book and well, still get a library a book. card? I'm not going to pay for a book I turned back in. <laughs> Well, so, well, still, if it causes you from not getting the, you know, go to yeah, the library. I think I'm okay not going to the library. I'm not the most avid reader, in case you hadn't noticed. Well, that's true. 
Yeah, but you do research, Jerry. I mean, you do some really good research. And that's one thing I want everyone to know when they listen to your podcast, because I'm telling you, some of the stories and some of the things you guys talk about, you don't just willy-nilly throw a story up. You guys, you dig deep, and you really give the listener something to chew on. I love your podcast. I've always loved it. Thank you. Um, and what what are some of the stories that both of you, or just maybe maybe I'll ask Tracy this since Jerry's been you know taking over the whole show. I'll ask Tracy this. <laughs> Tracy, what's your favorite thing? Is it a haunted house? Is it a haunted uh, hotel? Both? Graveyards? Visiting? I, what is it? I think mine mine is the houses for me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not too crazy about going to the graveyards. So, mm-hmm. like, if I do go, I can't. I mean, it cannot be anywhere near dark. Never. Ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the houses... And, you know, when I think about, because you had asked the question before, like, I wasn't even into any of this stuff before I came on with Jerry. Oh, and really? No, uh-uh. Not at all. But once we started and I got to thinking about things from my past, I do remember certain things happening. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wonder if that's what that was. Because I didn't know anything about that, really. So you both pretty much had paranormal experiences when you were younger. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Really? Well, Jerry, tell me about yours. And then, uh, Tracy, I'd love to hear about yours after he tells us so jerry go first oh man i don't even know where to start i literally have had probably 60 70 paranormal experiences but some of the bigger ones i guess that stand out is we moved into this house like i said i was about 12 Mm -hmm. years old and for the first year there wasn't a whole lot going on nothing i could i could think of at all that was paranormal but then my grandfather passed away my great-grandfather and it was my, my my mother's maternal grandfather. And it just seemed like something about that kicked off all the paranormal activity in the house. Hmm. And, uh, for example, the very first thing that happened, I can remember as plain as day. We're sitting in our living room. It's a typical, just, you know, rectangular-shaped living room, nothing big. And we've got a console television in the front of the room. Mm-hmm. On that console television is a... Uh, pin cushion, we'll say, but it was made like a little chair. So you could, you know, it looked like a little frilly red chair, but it where the seat was, it would lift it up. You keep your sewing equipment in there, like your needle sure. and, and your needles and stuff would stick in it. Well, we had that chair sitting there. Mm-hmm. It had some house numbers, metal house numbers, where we were doing some painting or something on the outside of the house, and they were laying on top. So they had a little bit of weight to them. And then there was a also a bottle of Elmer's glue in it. So this thing was weighted down on top of this television. And my grandfather had just passed away. My mom was really struggling with this. So she was on mm. the phone with the 700 Club, if you remember that show from back in the oh, day. I yeah. think it's I still, think made, that, still made. I, oh, it's back, still back around. Yeah. It's still around. So she's on the phone. We are on the opposite end of the room on the wall. So we're probably 10 feet away, I'd say. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting in a chair drawing. I used to draw all the time back then. And my mom is on the phone with this uh, 700 Club prayer line. And mm-hmm. they're, pr- they're praying with her. And all of a sudden, that little chair, whatever that thing was, that pin cushion shaped like a chair, it just popped off of the television set and landed in the floor and everything scattered. Now, when I say popped off... I don't mean it slid off. I don't. I mean it went up in the air like two feet, and then just landed in the floor, and everything scattered. And we just looked what? at each other. Yeah, we looked at each other like that just happened, right? And and she immediately is like, "I got. I have to get off the phone." And that was like the very first thing that happened to us. But then that night, as we're, uh, I'm in bed already. 
She's mm-hmm. the only one up. My mother was one of these people that stayed up all night long. She was a night owl. And she comes and wakes me up out of my bedroom. I don't know why she didn't go to my dad, but she comes to me. Mm-hmm. And she says, there are some noises in the attic. Can you come sit with me? So I come sit in the living room. My mom's not one of these people that was easily afraid. She had experienced a lot of stuff in her life. So she was not mm-hmm. afraid of stuff like that. But this night she was. Okay. And I sit in there with her for, I don't know, 30 minutes or so. Nothing. I heard nothing. The next night, though, she comes and wakes me up again. I set up, and you could hear stuff moving around upstairs in the attic. And this attic was not one that had floors. It had the, oh. the joists that go across, but there was there was no walking around unless you just put your foot from joist to joist. There was no no furniture up there that could have been scooted around. There was no, you know, there was a couple of boxes, but something was being scooted around. It wasn't rats. It wasn't a bird. Something was scooting around, right. making that scooting sound that you can hear above you on wood. And uh, we couldn't figure out what it was. And my dad went up there the next day and checked it out, and he couldn't see where anything was out of place. So that was the first couple of experiences we had in the house. That is crazy. Because was it an older house? Like, did it used to have an attic to where it would be... Well, no, it always had that attic that was just not completely finished, I guess. It it was built in the 1950s. We moved in. Mm-hmm. That was 1981 when we moved mm-hmm. in. So the, the house was less than 30 years old when we moved in. So there's really no reason for there to be some kind of noise coming from the attic. No, no, no. Not at all. Mm-hmm. All right. That is... Now, how old were you? I was... I had moved in. We were 12. I was 12 mm-hmm. and getting ready to turn 13 because I turned 13 in August. We moved in in April. Gotcha. Yeah. So you were just adolescent kid scared to death yeah <laughs> i'd have been scared yeah. to death. <laughs> that was pretty close i mean like I said, there was other stuff that went on along the way there was always something going on but that was Did- that was kind of the scariest i mean i would hear in my room at night i would hear voices echoing through the like the, the furnace duct system you couldn't understand what they were saying but you could make out there were two or three voices and wow. did you find out if anybody lived there or died there or well trauma not from like actual research, but we had some psychics that went to the University of Louisville that was part of something they had going on there at the university. Uh, they came out and did some stuff. They told us some stuff, but I don't know if any of the stuff was accurate. So, Oh, gotcha. All right. Well, Tracy, by the way, that was very fascinating, but we're going to move on to Tracy now. <laughs> I want to know your story. Well, now that I think about it, I used to spend the summers with my grandmother, and mm-hmm. I loved it. It's just like the that's back when uh, you know school didn't start till after Labor Day, and just was, it was just great. But mm. I had this friend that lived across the road, and I remember one time we—I mean, I was always over there playing and stuff like that—and I remember one time specifically that the girl's mom was washing the dishes. And but she had like like a bowl, not it's not like a bowl, but hmm. a basin or something. Like a basin or something like that. Mm-hmm. She had the dishes in, and anyway. So anyway, I remember we were all just running around the house, and that thing flew up. The basin flew up and hit her right in the face. What? Yes, and it's the weirdest thing because I had forgotten all about it till we got into all this. And back then, I was probably only like seven or eight, and I didn't even. I thought I don't know. I just didn't think about. It. I thought it was weird at the time. I'm like, how? Why did that do? I mean, she was soaked with water. I mean, it was it was a whole entire mess. And then later on, uh, the daughter says that stuff like that happens all the time. And I'm like, but see, I was seven and eight. I didn't even think about ghosts or anything back in the day. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. But did she 
live in an older house? Was oh there... yeah, it was old. Okay. Uh huh. It was mm-hmm. really old. I don't know what year it was, but I mean that was geez, what am I fifty something? So it was God forty something years ago. Yeah, you were so, young. Yeah, you I was young. Kid, so. But it was just the weirdest thing. I mean, it, I mean, it literally just. I mean, it just went up and right into her face. It, it was just weird. But she said they have like they had stuff happen there all the time. Um, you know, like little things like voices they would hear and they just hear all kinds of sounds during the night and stuff like that. So when I go to think about it, I'm thinking, well, that had to be what that was because there's no other way to explain why that thing would just fly up in the air and hit her in the face. Absolutely. That's that's scary enough. And you yeah. know, trying to describe that to or trying to understand that as a seven-year-old mm-hmm. child, mm-hmm. I can understand why you blocked it out. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I, there's been many times when my mom and dad have both passed on, but they mom always told me she would see the grandmother that I went to spit the summers with. She said that they woke up several times with her standing at the foot of the bed. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I thought that's, that that was cool because she was cool. That's very cool. That's yeah. very cool. I, I wouldn't mind that. Well, I think I'd still kind of be a little afraid. So I don't know if I'd like that or not. I don't yeah, know. I know. <laughs> yeah. But that's really all my experiences that I've had. But mm-hmm. that after I like I say, after I got in doing this with Jerry, it's just like it just makes you think about a lot of things that's happened. And you're like, wait a minute. You know, it's wh- funny how it comes full circle. And you're yeah. like, wait, you know, this is something that I didn't even think about, just like you said. And now mm-hmm. you're kind of into it and, and you're exploring something that happened to you as a child and I don't know if it changed you in the way you think about it now as opposed to then obviously it has to it does because I have short-term memory memory and mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot a lot a lot of things that I don't remember from my mm-hmm. childhood but then when we started getting into this it's just like it came from deep within and mm-hmm. and came back out so I was like oh but so now I think about a lot of different things and you know maybe try to connect what, them yeah mm-hmm. because I and that's how I think what's to me it's very fascinating how a podcast or just looking into things can change the way you look at what happened in the past Mm -hmm. and what you do in the future how you look at it as an adult or as a child as opposed to it being a child but what's kind of fascinating to me is how you two met I think it's amazing you both started a new life together a little older and you're doing such an amazing job with the podcast and just killing it with that of course but just the fact that you're so deeply in love and so happy and traveling and doing all these shows well when we don't have the corona going on <laughs> and, it, and it's just so nice to see a, a really happy couple thank you no it really is and and especially when you've got somebody like jerry yeah yeah I'm very Bless very lucky i'm very no. lucky <laughs> you hear that she's lucky i think she's very lucky he's a very nice person he really is he's very he's been very both of y'all have been very good to me oh. um but let me ask you this when you guys do an episode whether it's whatever it's about a house or a prison or what it, what's the episode there's your dog guys they have a dog what kind of dog is a uh, ninja maltese maltese and you'll hear my dogs running you're gonna hear their dogs and it's our shows and we can do what we want but back to my question would you guys do an episode what's the one that really does it for you like was there one specific that really made you go wow this is this is a crazy cool story what was like your favorite one and you might both have different ones but I'll let Jerry answer first then you know maybe uh, Tracy you think about it and answer after him I've got a lot of stories that are my favorites but if I was to say the topic that really just has made a change in in perception or uh, just my whole way of thinking it's probably the reincarnation slash past lives episodes because Mm. those are so loaded with 
with facts of what these children remember that before I started doing the podcast, I I knew what reincarnation was, but I didn't Mm -hmm. have a reason to believe in it. I don't necessarily knew that I had an opinion either way of it. But now I 100% believe in reincarnation. And when Mm -hmm. you believe in reincarnation, that really changes your whole outlook on death in general, because you don't feel like it's the end. Right. No, it's absolutely right. And I agree with you on that. Fair enough. Uh, There you go. Tracy, what is the episode that really, or the story that you guys researched that really hit home to you that really affected you well i was just gonna say the same thing jerry usually says the bell witch and so <laughs> well the bell, the bell witch is my favorite ghost story yeah. of all time so um, so i oh, love okay. doing that episode mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i think the reincarnation one is amazing and mm-hmm. like jerry said it's just amazing what these kids describe and how they know all this stuff um mm-hmm. i will tell you my least favorite is any true crime story i just cannot handle it i just can't mm-hmm. i just don't jerry usually don't tell me when we do it what, what it is because he knows how i'm going to be i mean i'm literally almost cry every single one we do so Aww. i, I don't believe that you yeah the biggest heart I tell well, you. thank you i just I, I give it to those guys that can do those episodes because i just cannot well they're so they're, they don't ever end well and no usually very violent and very bloody and gory and all the things that you can describe uh true crime to mm-hmm. be and who wants to hear about all that all the time but although it does fascinate me and i'd love to interview mm-hmm. someone that's a serial killer because i'm weird i guess <laughs> No, like, not at how, all. Not how at did all. it affect you when you killed your mother? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Kristen loves that stuff, too. And I'm like, you cannot be my child. She gets into all that. And she's just so fascinated. And I'm like, there, there's something not right about you. But she loves it. I do think there is that macabre feeling that a lot of people have. And that's something that Cody from Bumblebutt Podcast, he and I were talking about. There's that weird or fascination of watching someone be hung or be electrocuted and you know it was like this big thing where everybody would stand around and watch it and mm-hmm. it was just what the heck dudes but mm-hmm. i wouldn't want to honestly i wouldn't want to do that but at the time that's what everybody did you'd watch right. people get hung you'd watch back in you know the renaissance with henry the eighth you'd watch someone get their head chopped off that was the big entertainment of the time and oh gosh. it's just craziness go to bingo or something jesus yeah, well yeah if they had bingo i mean everything was either you were either rich or you were not and yeah <laughs> that's the way it was but, i know no that's just and say it is a terrible thing but you know you got to do I guess you got to do what you got to do to deal with the problem absolutely but I understand and you guys don't really touch on true crime that much no no it usually has to have some type of a paranormal aspect whether it be uh like we did the West Memphis 3 and mm-hmm. that was just horrible because you know it was the satanic panic deal was involved and that was the reason they went after the the kids and the Chicago Rippers deal that had some satanic aspects Zach and Addie uh which was actually one of my I hate to say favorite when you talk about something like that but actually it's one of the stories that i'm most proud of doing was the zach and addy story out of new orleans yes Mm -hmm. and and not Mm -hmm. only did we get to do do the story on them which was crazy in its own right but then we got to interview bloody mary who actually owns the house that Mm. that happened in it's that's where her museum is now and we actually went to that museum uh before we did the story so when we talked to her we were already uh, we had already been inside of the place so Mm. that story really had it all i mean we had just visited we saw all the stuff we were talking about we talked to the person that owns it about you know she's a voodoo uh, priestess so we got to talk about that aspect of it and it was just uh it's actually if you get a chance the zach and addy story is mm-hmm. definitely i don't remember what the episode number is but it's definitely one to check 
check out. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes if I can so that um, whoever listens to this, they can look it up on that. But I, I tell you what, I listened to that. You, I think it was your actual episode. And as far as I knew, the voodoo priest they lived above, I think it was above her, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, yeah. She, she, she had the shop below and then they lived above her. Okay, she was like, she was a good person. She was lovely. It wasn't anything negative. It wasn't this voodoo horrible thing causing him to do what he did to his girlfriend. Yeah, that was that was kind of the way it was kind of portrayed in the in the in the press that oh no they lived over this voodoo place but everybody mm-hmm. said that there was nothing wrong with that place at all. And it, that's what I was talking about. Is it Amanda? Amanda Knox? Is that her name that was accused of killing her roommate? She, uh, I think it was in England. Were they in France or England? Yes, and, yes. I, I know. Okay. Who, yes, that was Yes, correct. and and they portrayed her as this horrible person, and she was into drugs and into, you know, lots of promiscuousness and horrible things. Ended up being nothing like the kind of person she was. And it's like this with the Zack and Addie thing. It's nothing like, this guy just lost his ever-loving mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they really don't know. They went through Hurricane Katrina together. I mean, mm-hmm. they they were looked at as like heroes because they stayed behind when when mm-hmm. everybody else left and they kind of like helped make sure that nothing got looted and he was ex-military spent some time in in uh, the Persian Gulf and so I mean it was yeah it was just it just happened and uh right. you know who knows and you and and you can't ever explain it He's, he had to have had PTSD or some kind of yep. mental illness to have maybe undiagnosed mental illness but nonetheless it's fascinating to me how even just that can make someone a completely different person Person. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really sad. Can I tell you something amazing about that episode too? And it's not amazing in a good way. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't do a lot of true crime, and a lot of the times mm-hmm. when we do, it's usually from years and years ago. But this happened, you know, with you know, within the last fifteen years. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we did the episode. At the end of the episode, we actually told about one of Zach and Addie's best friends who actually helped do the documentary about them. Her and her boyfriend actually kidnapped a dancer from a club, dismembered her, and. Uh, put her in the in in the river there, and what? they got busted. And when I did the story and talked about it, because it was kind of a, a weird twist to the to the story, and I mentioned the young lady's name, and and that was all that I did. Lo and behold, that young lady, the dancer that was killed, her brother was a listener of our episodes of You're our stories. Kidding me. Had no clue, and he wrote me to tell me how disappointed he was that we covered that, and that you know him and his mom obviously have to live through every time some. Something like this is brought up in the stories and how much he loved listening to our show and just couldn't mm-hmm. imagine that we would have covered that knowing that she was a person and, and that she still got family all around. And it was something that never dawned on us. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I apologized to, to him course. and issued a public apology the next time we did the show. And we vowed that we're not going to do any kind of true crime where anybody could still be around from recent days. So Well, and you make it, the thing is you made it right or you at least tried to make it right. And that's all you can do because we're, we're in this together you know as far as trying to make an entertaining show and you never know who you're going to offend and trust me we never intend to do that none of us do we don't it's not on our agenda mm-hmm. but well you guys I absolutely love your podcast you guys have a show every Sunday night and then you also have tell us about the shows you guys actually produce 
Well, the only other one we've got right now, we did some other ones in the past, and they're out mm-hmm. there still to be able to listen about 15 mm-hmm. weeks or so. Uh, but we, we have one that's on that's targeted more towards children. It's uh, And I our, love that. It's our mm-hmm. daughter, Kristen, mm-hmm. and our granddaughter, Dakota, who just mm-hmm. turned 12. And they do a show called Hillbilly Youngins where they just do about a 15-minute episode. And it's, like I said, it's, it's a mother and a daughter, and uh, it's, it has a little bit of a younger feel to it. Mm-hmm. So it's good. It's a good episode for kids to listen to. Uh, okay. in, in the past, we had some uh, shows that were paranormal experiences by listeners called in. So those mm-hmm. are still up there. And we had a little episode that we called Fear of the Week. Oh, it, yes. It had a, a, a young lady that was an author. <laughs> and uh, she came and said, hey, I think I'm funny. And I think I could do some podcasting if you'll let me come on the show and we did about 10 months ago and the rest is history <laughs> and now I have my own show thanks to you guys <laughs> thank you so much it's it's lovely and I'm thrilled to be doing this and hopefully it'll be as good as your shows are because I tell you what I want everyone who's listening to me right now go and subscribe to Hibbley Horror Stories you will fall in love with Jerry you'll fall in love with Tracy they are so fun and funny together and I'm telling you I just can't say enough good things about these people so go Go check them out. And guys, where can they find you? Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us. So okay. if we're, we're not, Google us and if you're not sure and everything will come up. But everything's under Hillbilly Horror Stories, whether it's uh, on all forms of social media, so we're easy to find. Okay. All right. Well, guys, I know you have to go. And I, again, thank you. And uh, we will talk to you all soon. Thanks for having us on, honey. If you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review. It'll help my podcast out and more people will be able to listen. Also, I am a novelist and write paranormal romance. All my books are available on Amazon.com, so check me out. And you can also reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you guys all for your support, and I'll talk to you next week. There you go, our own little Leslie Fear. She's doing good things with her podcast over there. It's really cool. Yeah, she's doing a great job. We're really happy for her. Yeah, I miss her on Fear of the Week, but she's got bigger and better things going on right now. And, and uh, yeah. so we we appreciate it for the time that we had her. Yeah, and I know she just had a, another book come out right now. So yeah, you guys, Peripheral just yeah, came out. Make sure y'all check it out. So, yeah, and then uh, listen to her podcast. You'll like it. As, mm-hmm. I like all the episodes, but uh, Ashley Hernandez who runs, her and her husband run a mortuary. Well, it's a family-run business, but they run a mortuary and crematorium in Texas. The The episode Leslie had with her is my favorite so far. Mm-hmm. So listen to that one, and uh, you guys are going to love it. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Have a great week, guys. We love you.